You are listening to the audio from Grace Bible Church. This audio message is a recording from our Sunday morning worship service. We hope you enjoy. Good morning, Grace. Great to see everyone this morning. I'd like to begin by telling you a story of a man named John uh, who received a parrot as a gift. And the parrot had an awfully bad attitude and an even worse vocabulary. Every word out of the bird's mouth was rude, obnoxious, or laced with profanity. John tried and tried to change the bird's attitude by consistently saying only polite words, playing soft music, and anything else he could think of to kind of clean up the, the bird's vocabulary. But nothing changed. And so finally, John was fed up and he yelled at the parrots, and the parrot yelled back. And John shook the parrot, and the parrot got angrier and even ruder. So John, in desperation, threw up his hands, and he grabbed the bird, and he put him in the freezer. For a few minutes, the parrot squawked and kicked and screamed, and then suddenly there was total quiet. Not a peep was heard for over a minute. So fearing that he had hurt the parrot, John quickly opened the door to the freezer. And then the parrot calmly stepped out onto John's outstretched arms and said, I believe I may have offended you with my rude language and actions. I'm sincerely remorseful for my inappropriate transgressions, and I fully intend to do everything I can to correct my rude and unforgivable behavior. John was stunned at the change of the bird's attitude, and just as John was about to ask what had made such a dramatic change in his behavior, the bird continued, May I ask what the turkey did? Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. There's your joke for the day. <laughs> oh, stop clapping. Come on. That's the... <laughs> but anyway, uh, church, just like the parrot. How do, we, how, do we get out of, how do we get out of the parrot story? Okay. Just like the parrot, sometimes uh, we need to be reminded that there are consequences to having a bad attitude. And this is especially true in the Christian life. Some people just need to be shoved in the freezer for a little bit, Right. But in fact, when it comes to the Christian life, there's no getting around it. Attitude really is everything. Why? Well, simply put, the great D.L. Moody said, attributes, excuse me, attitudes determine our actions for good or for bad. In other words, what's on the inside will eventually manifest itself on the outside. Jesus said it best in Matthew 12, 35. He said, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And so as followers of Christ, we want to be sure that what we produce is good, yes? Well, this morning, as we continue our study in 1 Peter, we're going to be reminded, or excuse me, we're going to find Peter giving his readers a picture of the good that's produced when Christians have a Christ-like attitude. And in doing so, we're going to be reminded of a really simple yet important truth that we ought to remember, and it's this. A Christ-like attitude produces Christ-like attributes. It's really that simple. It comes down to attitude. So if you will, open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 3. If you don't have a copy of Scripture on your own, you can grab the one from the pew. It's page uh, 1015 in your pew Bible. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to pray God's blessing one more time on our time in his word uh, today. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for the opportunity to bring your word to your people. And Father God, as I preach as much to myself as I do to to the church body that's here today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to us. Lord, that I in my flesh would get out of the way of, of, of your word, that I would not quench your Holy Spirit's work. Father, that none of us this morning would quench your Holy Spirit's work. Teach us, Lord. Help us to be teachable today and leave here closer to Jesus with a Christ-like attitude than we were when we came in. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. 
So church, over the last month, we've been learning about the Christian's role of submission. Specifically, we've seen Peter address submission in relation to the government, the workplace, and the home, and he used Jesus Christ as our supreme example to follow. Well, in today's closing thoughts on the subject, we're going to find Peter giving a general exhortation of what a submissive Christian life looks like. You might call it a summary of submission or submission in a nutshell. And again, it really all comes down to attitude. So let's begin by reading the whole passage and then we'll break it down. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. It reads this, Finally, all of you, some of your Bibles might say to sum it up, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and the ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Church, in 1979, history was made when the Susan B. Anthony dollar was introduced into circulation. This was the first time a woman ever appeared on U.S. currency. However, even though there was great anticipation for the coin, once released, it received poor public acceptance. Why? Because it looked too much like a quarter. You see, since the general population had so much trouble distinguishing it, it was being rejected by vending machines and whatnot, they just opted not to use it. And so even with a new redesign in 1999, the coin never quite made the impact that it was designed for. In church, in many ways, Christians are the same way. You see, in God's eyes, we have great value, right? But the way that we live our lives often makes us indistinguishable from the world around us. And as a result, we're rejected by the public and never quite make the impact that we were designed for. You see, friends, if we desire to make an impact, if that really is, is, is one of our primary goals as believers to make a spiritual impact, then we got to look different. And this different comes, difference comes primarily by adjusting our attitudes. In fact, Chuck Swindoll, he said this, words can never adequately convey the incredible impact of our attitudes toward life. The longer I live, the more convinced I become that life is 10% what happens to us and 90% on how we respond to it. And so in today's passage, Peter reveals three characteristics of a Christ-like attitude. So let's just jump right, jump right in and look at the first. It's this, Christ-like actions, okay? So attitude equals actions, Christ-like actions. Verse 8, let's read that again. It says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. You know, on May 27th, 2006, two weeks after I graduated college, I took Carrie to be my lawfully wedded wife. And she took me to be her lawfully wedded husband. And in doing so, she switched names. She went from Evans to Butash. Some might say that was a step down, but it is what it is. <laughs> Nevertheless, her maiden name was permanently changed on legal documents, her driver's license, bills, and so forth. And here's the deal. Even though she'll always be the same person, on our wedding day, she took on a new identity. And the same is true for us as believers. 
You see, when we become united with Jesus Christ through salvation, we too are given a new identity. And with this new identity comes putting off our old ways of living and putting on new ways of living. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. New. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. In today's opening verse, Peter lists five actions or new ways of living that are found in a believer who carries a Christ-like attitude. You've got to be not just a believer, but a believer who carries a Christ-like attitude. So let's look at each of them. We'll kind of work through these one by one. The first is this, harmonious action. The first Christ-like action is harmonious action. We're going to be hanging out in verse 8 for probably the, the biggest chunk of, of today's message. So you guys are going to have it memorized by the time we're done. Let's look again at verse 8. Finally, all of you, read it with me, have unity of mind. See, we're being unified even as we read it, aren't we? Have unity of mind. The Greek word for unity of mind literally means same think. And so it refers to believers sharing a oneness of heart, a similarity of purpose, and agreement on major points of doctrine. What it doesn't mean is what some call cracker box mentality. This is where everyone looks alike, thinks alike, has identical convictions, and shares the same tastes. In my world, that's called a cult, and we shun cults. We don't like cults, and that's not what Peter's advocating for. You see, to have unity of mind is to focus not on the petty differences or disagreements that we may have, but rather to concentrate on the commonality that we share in Jesus Christ. You see, friends, this is what enables people from every tribe, every nation, and every tongue from all races and cultures and political parties and affiliations to be part of the same church family. In spite of our human differences, we find harmony in Christ. This is so important. Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all what? In Christ Jesus. Church, when we allow our differences to separate us, or create conflict between us, then we're operating outside of biblical grounds. Therefore, we need to keep ourselves in check. Charles Spurgeon said, Satan always hates Christian fellowship. It is his policy to keep Christians apart. Anything that could divide saints from one another, he delights in. Since union is strength, he does his best to promote separation. And friends, let's face it. We know this truth all too well. For the last nine months, Satan has used the coronavirus and the presidential election to throw the church into a whirlwind. And the sad thing is, many of God's people have bought into his scheme, hook, line, and sinker. The level of vitriol and disagreements and infighting among God's people this year has been unprecedented to the, to the point where there are many, many faithful pastors who do not recognize their flock anymore. And for what reason and at what cost do we find ourselves getting into these arguments? You know, I, I can't help but wonder, even believe, that the number one contributor to undermining the advancement of the gospel in 2020 is the church. And so, friends, I just say this. We need to wake up. We need to take the blinders, the political blinders, and all other blinders off of our eyes 
and recognize that the enemy of our souls is smart and cunning. Therefore, in everything that we do, both inside the church, outside of the church, on social media, for heaven's sake, on social media, and everything in between, we must ask if our actions are contributing to the unity of the body, more importantly, to the advancement of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said it best in Ephesians 4.3. He said, make every effort to keep yourselves what? Binding yourselves together with peace. Let's look at the second action, compassionate action. Compassionate. 1 Peter 3.8, let's read it again. Finally, all of you have unity, mind, and sympathy. You're going to be talking back to me a lot this morning. Sympathy. You know, I just told someone the other day, that I believe that 90% of all Christianity's problems would be resolved if every Christian knew how to read the room. You know what I'm saying? Read the room. And, and look, at, maybe you don't know what I'm saying because none of us are really good at it, myself included. Reading the room. To read the room is to understand the, 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 the emotions and the thoughts of other people present and then adjusting your response in a biblical manner to help relate to their situation. You see, the word sympathy means sharing the same feeling. In other words, believers ought to have a mutual concern for one another. We just got to know how to read the room. Romans 12, uh, verses 15 through 16 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep, live in harmony with one another. Friends, a sure sign of having a Christ-like attitude is your ability to genuinely empathize with someone else's pain and celebrate someone else's successes and put others' needs ahead of your own, always giving preference to the weaker brother or sister in Christ. It's been said that maturity begins to grow when you can sense your concern for others outweighing concern for yourself. In other words, a mature believer is really good at reading the room. Read the room. Next is loving action. Loving action. Let's go back to verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, and you guys are going to get louder and better as we move along here. You know, a few years back, much to my chagrin, the Philadelphia Eagles won the Super Bowl. Now, the consolation prize, it was against the New England Patriots. Frankly, I was rooting for a scoreless tie, but to see Tom Brady lose was the next best thing. Nevertheless, following the Eagles' win, their their fans only confirmed to me why I dislike the Eagles so much. They set the city on fire. They won the Super Bowl, and they set their own city on fire. How's that for a testimony of fandom? You see, church, the Greek word for brotherly love is where we get the word Philadelphia from. It refers to a loving affection toward one another, which is demonstrated by acts of unselfish service. A healthy church should be known for serving one another, not setting fires. In fact, how we serve one another speaks volumes to a watching world. In writing to the church of Thessalonica, Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 4, 9-10, through 10, he says, Now concerning brotherly love... Concerning Philadelphia, if you will, you have no need for anyone to write you. Philadelphia does. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and more and more and more. 
Why did Paul urge the importance of showing brotherly love? Simply put, not only is brotherly love a blessing to those within the church, but it's our greatest testimony of Jesus Christ to those outside of the church, right? They will know we are Christians by our political stance. No? Sorry, it was, there was a, they will know we are Christians by our complaining. Oh, what? Can't hear you. Love, right? <laughs> love. Next is tender action. Tender action. Again, verse 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and? Man, you guys are getting better. In 1956, Elvis Presley performed Love Me Tender on the Ed Sullivan Show for the very first time. Do we have any Elvis Presley fans besides Bob Olecki in the room today? Elvis lives, right, Bob? He lives. Now, even though Elvis was not referring to the words of 1 Peter 3 at all, in Love Me Tender, the sentiments of the song actually relate. You see, the purpose of the song is to foster a love relationship that is deep and true. And the Greek word behind a tender heart in many ways carries the same meaning. In fact, the root word is sometimes used to describe someone's internal organs. In other words, it's like this deep, felt, powerful, inward emotion that's, that's just felt out of love and concern for another believer. In other words, Peter is calling us to care for one another, not just outwardly with actions, that's important, but inwardly with genuine affection and emotion. It's very similar to the deep, inward, heartfelt concern that Jesus felt for sinners in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And even this word compassion is like this, it talks about this inside, like it's your organs are just hurting for people. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We're supposed to have that kind of love and concern for one another as believers. And the last action, Christ-like action, is humble action. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and humble mind. It's been said that humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. The same word that Peter used here, the Apostle Paul used when addressing the church in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, said, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. One commentator noted, a truly humble person looks for opportunities to give himself freely to others rather than holding back. To release rather than hoard, to build up rather than tear down, to serve rather than be served, to learn from others rather than clamoring for the teaching stand. How blessed are those who learn this early in life. So friends, these are just some of the Christ-like actions of someone who maintains a Christ-like attitude. But we're going to move forward in our study and move to the second characteristic of a Christ-like attitude. It's a Christ-like approach. A Christ-like approach. Verse 9. Peter writes, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. There's an old adage, you catch more flies with honey than you do with vinegar. In other words, a sweet approach always trumps a sour approach every time. When verbally attacked, it's our natural inclination to want to fight back. I get it. But we need to avoid this temptation because it's not the approach that Jesus prescribed for his followers. 
And this is a really tough one, all right? I'm just going to be honest with you. This is a toughie. Instead of retaliating when wronged, we're called to bless those who wronged us. Can you believe that? Bless those who wronged us. In fact, the word for bless is where we get the English word eulogy from. You know what you do with a eulogy? You say good things about a person. You bless them with words. In this context, instead of retaliating against our enemies, we're called to build them up and do good toward them. Listen to how Jesus illustrated this radical approach in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 44. Just listen. It's not going to be on the screen. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Easy stuff, right guys? We could do this thing. Church, it's downright hard. This isn't easy stuff. This is downright hard. But nonetheless, it is what we're called to do and quite frankly empowered to do by the Holy Spirit living within us. And God in his mercy and in his grace, he actually gives us some added motivation for doing so. He gives us a command and the command's enough, right? But he goes on and he actually gives us added motivation for doing so. Peter says, for to this you were called that you may obtain a what? A blessing. A blessing. You see, friends, we can be sure that God will always be faithful to bless those who faithfully follow his ways, even when it's hard. Christ-like actions will always be rewarded by the Father. And we need to keep that in mind when we make those hard decisions to not fight back and instead follow in Christ's footsteps. And this leads us to the third characteristic of a Christ-like attitude, Christ-like aim, a Christ-like aim. Let's look at verses 10 and 11. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. You know, as a hunter, every year before archery season or rifle season, I try to sight in my crossbow or rifle. To the best of my ability, I, I miss a few years here and there, and I just kind of wing it. But that's not really good. Because a good hunter doesn't just randomly shoot, hoping he's going to hit something, right? You see a deer, and you're just kind of like, this isn't Nintendo here. You see, a good hunter, well before I get into the field, I need to be confident that where I'm aiming is where I'm going to hit. Because if my aim is off, then I'm going to miss what I was aiming for. Makes sense, right? So you sight in your rifle. Well, church, when it comes to life in general, we need to be confident that we are aiming, that what we're aiming for is what we're going to hit. Earlier in the week, I went on Google, and I just typed in how to live your best life. And beyond a whole bunch of Joel Osteen books that came up, what, <laughs> guess how many results came back? Guess how many? Let me type that in. 8.76 billion 
results came back. You know what that tells me? It tells me that practically everyone is aiming for the same thing. Everyone's aiming for the same thing. We want a, a life that is, uh, has meaning and, and purpose and satisfaction. Everyone wants that. The problem is that even though most people are aiming for the same thing, many aren't sighted in properly. And so as a result, people are taking shots at wealth and, and feeling left wanted. Popularity, left wanting. Position, left wanting. Relationships, left wanting. They're hoping that one of those things are going to satisfy because that's what the 8.76 billion results say. But friends, if we're aiming for true satisfaction, if you're aiming for true satisfaction, let me tell you something. If you desire that the, the best that God has for you, you must set your sights on Christ and his ways. Friends, I don't know about you, but man, I've got pandemic fatigue. Like, like it depends on the day. And I'm like, I get, I get down just thinking about like life, right? But, what, but what, when, I have the, when that happens, what I do is I set my sights back on Christ. And, and even though it's not like a magic trick where all of a sudden, boom, 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 it, it, I feel all better. But if I keep doing that, and I keep doing that, and I keep doing that, it settles my spirits, right? I don't know how people do life without setting their sights on Jesus, especially this year, Right? set our sights on Christ and his ways, we, we are satisfied. He brings us satisfaction. Psalm 107 verse 9 says, for he satisfies the longing soul. How many longing souls in the room today? Just longing for ugh, 2020, go away. Don't ever come back. There's no guarantees when the clock strikes midnight on December 31st or January 1st that things are going to be any much different than they are right now, friends. So let's not set our sights on 2021. Let's set our sights on Jesus Christ. For he satisfies the longing soul. And the hungry soul he fills with good things. In these closing verses, Peter's actually quoting Psalm 34 in these last few verses. And it's a way of just reinforcing kind of everything he's already said, but he's reinforcing that the key to loving life and seeing good days circles back not to our circumstances, but to having a Christ-like attitude. And he ends by giving the blessings that come when we have one and the burden that comes when we don't. First Peter 3.12, he says this, For the eyes of the Lord, here's the blessing, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But, to the, face, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Friends, when we choose to set our sights on Christ and his ways, we have a sure confidence that God will watch over us with great care and will be attentive to our prayers. On the other hand, when we choose to ignore Christ and his ways, we can be sure that God will oppose us. I don't know about you, I want the former, not the latter, yes? 
So at the end of the day, the choice is ours, and it all comes down to adjusting our attitudes. And this is something that we can't just do like one and done. I'm going to adjust my attitude to be like Jesus. I made that decision 20 years ago, and I'm just going to keep it. No, this is like every single day, every moment of every day, every minute of every, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, like as, as believers, like, we just don't accept Christ as our Lord and Savior and then just kind of, like, navigate through life. Like, no, it's a daily denial of self and taking on Jesus Christ, right? And so, so if you're kind of sitting here and you're a little unsatisfied or a little bit miserable in your faith, a little bit cranky, maybe you're not showing off some of these actions that I talked about or the approach that I talked about or even the aim that I'm talking about. And you're wondering, like, what's going on with my Christian life? I'm not really satisfied. It's probably because... Uh, you haven't denied yourself lately. Because that's what the Christian life is all about, self-denial. And this leads us back to today's truth to remember. A Christ-like attitude produces Christ-like attributes. And, oh, Lord, we need his help, don't we? God, we need your help to have a Christ-like attitude. How many of you, how many of you want to look more like Jesus? Say, I do. I do as well. I do as well. And uh, it's hard. It's hard in 2020. I don't know about you, I catch myself a lot not thinking or looking like Jesus with my attitude. And so praise God, he's so full of grace, and he's there to, to bring us back when we set our sights on him. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the praise team to come forward, and, and I'm going to ask, uh, ask the Lord's blessing over you, over myself, that we can, can have this attitude that the Lord wants us to have and the blessings that come as a result. And then we're going to close by affirming with a song. So let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, God, your word is, is abundantly clear, God. If we want to see good days, if we want to love life, if we want to have satisfaction, if we want to have peace in our souls, Lord, we got to stop. we got to stop operating in our own flesh and our own attitudes and adjust our attitudes to Jesus Christ. Lord, you are so merciful and gracious and kind to us, Lord. And your loving kindness leads us to repentance. And so, God, I, I pray for our church body. I pray for myself, Lord. If there are just areas where it's like, man, we, are just, we need an attitude adjustment, that you would, you would lay that uh, before us, Father God, and that we would confess that and give that back to you. Lord, may our lives be consecrated to you today. Lord, we admit that it is hard. It's hard to have the right attitude when the circumstances around us are all wrong. So, Lord, we, we rely and we admittedly rely on your Holy Spirit to get the job done in our hearts. Help us, Lord Jesus. We love you and we praise you. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Grace Bible Church. For more information about our church and our ministries, you can visit gracebiblepa.com.